doomed to repeat is a Delta Green actual play podcast with violent themes in adult language. For a full list of trigger and content warnings, please check our show notes before each episode. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, my players. Hi. Oh, hey. we're, we're just doing it, huh? <laughs> Welcome back to arc two of our Delta Green campaign titled Doomed to Repeat. I am Sergio, your handler. I'm Aaron, and this isn't happening. <laughs> I'm Allegra, and I can't stop giggling. <laughs> I'm Amanda, and I'm panicking. I'm Caleb. I'm definitely here. <laughs> I'm Eli, and it's going to be okay. I'm Zakia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Oh, boy. And as you can tell, we are buzzing with excitement. So let's not waste a moment. Welcome back to The Conspiracy. Now, let's begin. It's April 23rd, 2020, a little after 10 a.m. Agents Tuck, Merritt, and Warp have rented a vehicle and are on their way to a rendezvous with Mallory, your case handler. Agent Samael has stepped away to perform his priestly duties, which leaves Agents Hyde and Boomer alone in Samael's office. Working together, you've just broken a code that has brought you to a folder on the encrypted server that contains a case file about something titled Project Tell. What would you like to do, agents? A boomer. What? What's in the file? Well, it just says something about Project Tell, so we can click on it, but... We got like other priorities. What are your thoughts? Uh, could you just skim it for me? If, you know what? Okay, how about this? I'll skim this, but you're gonna have to owe me a favor. What could you? I don't know what I could possibly owe you, Boomer, but fine. <laughs> just, I, I'm, just say you'll help me out when I ask for it, because you're the only other person in this that can put two and two together logically. <sighs> fine, fine, fine. Thank you. And I'm going to go ahead and click on the file. So here's the first thing that you read. At the top of this page, it says, Operation Tell. Warning. This is a top-secret document containing compartmentalized information essential to the national security of the United States. Magic spelled with a J, eyes only access. The material herein is strictly limited to those possessing Majestic 12 clearance level. Examination by unauthorized personnel is strictly forbidden and punishable by federal law. On, On October 28, 1943, the National Defense Research Council in the United States Navy tested the application of a device code name 
Mirage 3 aboard the destroyer escort USS Eldridge in an attempt to render it invisible through the use of intense electromagnetic fields. The fruits of the naval research project called Rainbow was one of the earliest attempts at creating stealth technology. The Eldridge not only became radar invisible for more than 20 minutes, it disappeared completely from the visible spectrum and lost by its escort ships when the device was activated. In effect, for 22 minutes, the USS Eldridge ceased to exist. It's November 17th, 2012 at 0800 and six of the toughest sons of bitches the American military industrial complex has ever produced ride aboard a UH-60 Blackhawk. It's a warm day in Montana, close to 90 degrees, but you're kept cool inside the chopper as the air rushes past. You watch the mountainous terrain of northern Montana pass under your feet as you head due east. An hour passes, and the terrain transforms into rolling badlands clusters of rocky hills and plateaus whose sides reveal centuries of sediment. You were all picked up at Malmstrom Air Force Base for what you were told is an extremely covert mission. The scuttlebutt suggests this may be a continuation of Operation Neptune Spear, the mission that took down Bin Laden only a year ago. As you wait to arrive at wherever they're taking you, I'd like you to introduce your characters by their call sign, describe what they look like, and what they do to pass the time. My call sign is Beefer. I am five foot nine, medium build. Uh, I have a black beard and messy black hair, just longer than those that would be allowed by military regulations. I'm not dressed in a normal U.S. Navy uniform. And I think that I'm probably passing the time by, uh, you know, out of, uh, at his side, he always keeps, uh, keeps a crembit, uh, which is like a curved, uh, combat knife. And he's just kind of playing with it, flipping it around in his hand. Probably not the safest thing to do on an aircraft, but he looks like he doesn't give a fuck. Uh, I'm Agent Lion, or I guess just Lion. Lion's my call sign. About 5'5", five, five, really stocky, brown eyes, close cropped, dirty blonde hair. A uh, crooked nose that definitely looks like it's been broken a few times. Very square jaw. Just like an entirely unremarkable physical human being. Except for the fact that he's built like a fucking tank. He is short and broad and like looks like he's always kind of a little bit crouched. Uh, Lion is, um, he's got in some headphones, but they're not really, they're not plugged in or anything. He just doesn't want to be bothered. Uh, and he's reading a book about, um, the Cold War. Alright, I am Blue. He is about 5'6", also on the shorter side, but he is very, uh, definitely, I would say leaner, but he can definitely hold his own. Uh, he has short, uh, choppy blonde hair, and uh, he has like a little rock in his hand. He's rubbing the rock over and over but you wouldn't see that on his face. In the meantime, he is literally just staring blankly straight ahead, all the while only thinking about Alan Pompeo from uh, just thinking about just 
actresses. That helps him keep in time. Codename uh, Compass or call sign Compass uh, is five foot ten, white male with a shorn head, uh, almost completely shorn to a one or or zero. Um, He keeps a clean shaven face. Uh, He wears a pretty traditional uniform and is mostly nondescript aside for a Roman numeral 14 tattooed on his right bicep. Um, He is quiet for most of the ride. Uh, It's not mentioned much uh, outside of maybe questions over the briefing, uh, of which that is his primary concern on the ride over. He's pouring over some maps over the briefings that each uh, operation, operational agent put forward, you know, exit Nexville and all, all manner of what they're about to go into. Um, he's trying to pour over the details. Of which I will note, uh, Compass, there is almost nothing. It's frustrating to you uh, how little information you've been given. I think Compass is definitely focused on that more than anything else. He's trying to fill in the details where uh, they, they weren't given anything. He's trying to, to fill up the, the missing places. Sub. Uh, they call me Pinks. Uh, I'm a uh, six, uh, three, big, swole, buff dude. I'm wearing uh, just a typical uniform, but it's just uh, being such a big dude that it just looks very tight and small on on my figure. I'm just wearing uh, these bright pink earbuds that are in my ears, and I'm blasting. Um, We'll never get back together by Taylor Swift. And I'm kind of just humming it under my breath as I'm just kind of like bobbing my head back and forth. Um, I'm wearing a backwards cap and I got kind of like a scarf to keep the sun off my face um, wrapped around my neck. And then I'm just jamming, vibing. Um, Codename Downtime. He's pretty average built. He's a little lean. He actually looks a lot taller just because of the way he carries himself. Um, but he's a dark-skinned dude, he's got short hair with a little bit of a, a twist um, on top, not too much. And um, he has, he always looks tired. Um, it's kind of just the way that his eyes are shaped, but he just kind of looks uninterested or unentertained. But he's just sort of leaning over on the way there until Pinks starts singing out loud. And then he starts trying to drum with the noise that Pinks is making. Hey. Um, and keeps switching up every time. <laughs> getting lost in it because he can't hear the music, but he's just chilling. The terrain changes again. This time, a wide lake appears with raised breaks along its side. It's part of the Missouri River, which runs for over 2,341 miles east and south, but you aren't going that far today. Eventually, you see a compound nestled along one of the larger inlets on the river. As the UH circles, zeroing in on a landing pad, you count about two dozen plain white buildings within a double-fenced perimeter, high security. You also notice a few other things. One of the buildings is much larger than the rest with a domed roof. Beside the eastern entrance where vehicles might enter, there's signage that reads March Industries. Finally, the sight that catches all of your eyes is a dull gray naval vessel parked on the riverbank. Beefer, Lion, Blue, the three of you 
almost immediately recognize what this is. This is a USS Destroyer Escort class, likely from World War II, complete with artillery cannons and 50 caliber turrets, just sitting on the side of the river. That's weird. I didn't realize that we had carriers out here on rivers. But we don't. <laughs> Are you Clearly we do. The UH lands and you file out. You're met at the end of the landing pad by a small woman wearing a white smock. She's thin, dark-skinned, standing about 1.7 meters tall with these pale blue eyes. She looks Indian, North Indian. She has her long, straight black hair pulled back in a ponytail. And she says over the noise of the helicopter as it powers down, Hello, my name is Dr. Thornbill, and I'll be your liaison. Please, follow me. And she begins walking in a direction. As you walk with her, carrying all that you have brought, she says, We've prepared a series of aptitude tests. I hope you gentlemen don't mind breaking a sweat this morning. No, man. No, privilege. Not, a, not at all. Not at all, ma'am. She takes you up the side of a hill to what you immediately recognize as a firing range. And this firing range is overlooking the inlet where the naval vessel is parked. You put your bags down. There is a table in front of you with everything you would need to use at a firing range. There are assault rifles, submachine guns, pistols. Every dozen yards after the table, there are targets on wooden stilts and sand berms behind them to catch the bullets. Dr. Thornbill turns to you and says, please, if you could go through the usual drills, we'd like to test your aptitude with firearms. And I'd like each of you to make a firearms check, please. Yeah, um, downtime, he's gonna say, I could have sworn I could like test out of this or something like that. I thought this was gonna be, you know, for real. Um, he just picks something up and starts essentially play, not like heavily playing with it, but he picks it up like it's a like a toy and starts like twirling it around and stuff. Um, and then gets ready, takes a shot. It doesn't look like a good face, Zach. <laughs> yeah, no, he immediately failed. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. You did you had to do the twirl. Yeah, uh, yeah, sixty-five. Out of? I needed a 60. Okay. The... You, 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 I mean, you hit the targets. Downtime is not some slouch, and it's clear that there is skill. But you miss a couple, too. I, I left those for y'all, by the way. <laughs> mm -hmm. I appreciate it. Kind. Beaver picks up the gun. I just take the gun they set down on the table. Rolls a 28 on his firearms check, which is a strong pass. Just bust through. Pigs is gonna find the biggest gun on the table. <laughs> <laughs> if you do, you may make a heavy weapons roll. Um, okay, yeah, uh, I, I would have succeeded either way with a 36. Um, and like the whole time, he's just gonna be like laughing and just popping off shots and just. <laughs> sure enough, uh, though you are having a good time, yeah, you, you nailed those targets. Blue is going to go. Question, would. Uh, would there possibly be an M82 near there? A Beretta M82, like a sniper rifle? What there is, and I will actually share it with you now, there is an HK416, which is an assault rifle. 
There is an MP7, which is more of the submachine gun type, and there are Sig Sauer's P226. Not my preference, but they'll go ahead and uh, take out uh, the HK416, and I rolled a 25, and I'm gonna go ahead and shoot. After I'm done, I'm gonna like kind of look to the rest of the group and be like, you know what? Uh, I expect a little bit more professionalism from people who've gone through the training I have to not wave around our weapons like they are just toys. I expect better from each and every one of you. Fucking represent. Speak for yourself, buddy. I thought you Navy boys weren't supposed to have a preference. I am not a fucking Navy person. Oh, oh. Get your shit together. And I'm just going, so tense. We're just shooting guns, guys. Just chill. <laughs> Compass is going to approach and take out a six hour, the P226. Uh, he's going to check the gun, uh, prep it, remove the magazine, place it back in, and go through the protocol of, of firing, and then take shot at the, the targets. He passes with a 48 out of six. As soon as the weapon is discharged, he removes the ammo, he sets everything back down on the table, walks back to the line. Lion will um, take the weapon that Compass just dropped, go through the same exact process, take it in, like check the magazine, take it out, refill it with bullets, and then just straight down the line. Full magazine, full clip out, because I got a two. Two out of 80. Just full clip, unloading it, just clustered, perfect. Uh, after he finishes, he's gonna eject the, the empty magazine, set it down separately, and turn back, and doesn't make eye contact with anyone, just returns to his place in line. It's a good grouping. Thank you. You got a good shot. I know. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> Once Lion puts down the weapon and steps back to the group, Dr. Thornbill is making some notes, but says, thank you, gentlemen, if you'll follow me to the next uh, drill. And she starts walking down the hill. Are we, uh, wait, are we, are we grabbing a question? Are we getting our equipment? You want us to do the firing range. Are we getting equipment here? Are we checking it at Armory? Uh, they'll tell us a brief. She looks at the clipboard and says, uh, Blue, if you wouldn't mind being patient, we'd like to run the drills and then we will brief you when we feel we're ready. Copy that, and I'm gonna get back in line. I'm gonna slap Blue on the shoulder and be like, "No worries, man. We're gonna we're gonna shoot more stuff later." <laughs> While Blue's talking, I'm just laughing and following the doctor. <laughs> Blue is literally biting the inside of their lip at some of these fucking idiots. Already, <laughs> Lion rolls their eyes at literally anything anyone else says. You're led down the hill, and over to a large patch of dry dirt where a obstacle course has been set up. It's big, it's long, it's clearly uh, military uh, a standard in terms of it has everything. It's got the tires, it's got the wall climb, it's got the rope climb, it's got the rope bridge, it's got, you know, crawling under logs. And waiting for the group is a group of about three scientists similarly dressed to Dr. Thornbill. You assume they're scientists. They're all in white smocks. And as you guys begin going through this drill, they are taking copious notes. I mean, it's almost as if everything you do, they are looking at you guys and writing things down. Uh, but I would like the entire group to make athletics checks 
and let me know if you succeed or fail. Pass with a 27. Pass with a 40. Pass with a 24. Pass with a 34. Fail with an 83. Ooh. (sighs) Pass with a 67. You all complete the obstacle course in your own time. Some of you make better time than others. Beefer, unfortunately, seems to take the most amount of time. Yeah, I think I probably get my, like, something, it's something stupid. That just, that, like, there's it, there's no avoiding it. Like, my foot gets caught in, like, a loose piece of rope or something, and it sucks, but it just happens. Nonetheless, the trial is over, and without any fanfare or anything like that, the scientists, the three that have been standing there watching you guys, walk away, and Dr. Thornbill says, okay, let's come over right here. And she leads you to a kind of circular sand pit. And she says, could you please break up into groups of two? And I'm going to have you uh, do a little uh, unarmed combat with each other. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So what groups do you break into? Who's the biggest dude? Who's the biggest dude? I'd be the biggest dude. (laughs) I'm fighting you. You're the biggest dude. I'm fighting you. So Lion Pinks immediately join together. Let me have you both make unarmed combat rolls and you let me know who who succeeds and who fails. <laughs> Pass with a 64. Pass with a uh, 62. Alright. So you guys put up a hell of a show. You are both impressively good at your unarmed combat, throwing each other one at a time. You guys go a couple of rounds, and it's not clear as to who is truly the winner, but you are both clearly very skilled, and you step out. Dr. Thornbill asks for the next group. I'll fight anybody. Blue. Yes. Let's fight. I'll just go ahead and nod, and I'll just go in the field, and let's go ahead and see what happens. I failed with a 67 out of 60. I failed with a 75. (laughs) 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 Okay. This is interesting. To me, you basically both, uh, you know, give rounds up to each other where one second blue is able to overcome you downtime, but in another round, uh, you are able to overcome them. It, it sounds like maybe we keep fighting and then we start fighting. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh. Yeah. I, I, I think we take it maybe to, you could tell like it gets personal a little bit, like more emotional. Does anyone do anything about the fact that it becomes a little more uh, personal? Pigs will step in <laughs> and pick and bear hug somebody and move them out of the way. <laughs> hey, Compass, can you give me an alertness check? Yeah, of course. Uh, I have a pass with a 17 out of 70. The fight begins, and Dr. Thornbill is obviously like, uh, uh, gentlemen, gentlemen, can we calm down here? Pinks kind of starts moving towards, but you just kind of look to your side, and you can see by one of the white buildings about four plain-clothed men wearing body armor and carrying assault rifles kind of start making their way, but when Pinks finally calms them down and separates them, they kind of lower their weapons and, and back up. Um, I'm standing next to Beef because obviously he's going to be my swim buddy here. But uh, I'm going to look to him. I'm going to point out the mercenaries. Hey, uh, we should probably walk our, uh, watch our backs here. I don't think they like us yet. <laughs> I'll get paid to cause trouble. All right. Usually. 
<laughs> Speaking of trouble, it's time for Beefer and Compass to make some unarmed combat rolls. I rolled a 15 out of 60. <sighs> 88 out of 60. Ooh. Oh boy. Oh, <laughs> I think it like ends with one of those judo flips into an arm bar on the floor, but afterwards Compass definitely gives him the fucking uh, you know, action movie handshake across the forearms and brings him back up, claps him on the back. Hey, that was good. It seems to be the classic story of the young whippersnapper thinking he can outdo the old the old officer, and sure enough, Compass is able to get the better of Beefer. Again, with no fanfare, no commentary, Dr. Thornbill says, thank you, gentlemen, we're going to break for lunch if you'll just follow me. And she takes you to a large white building that is clearly a mess hall. As soon as you walk in, you can hear the sound of people talking and eating and going about their business. It's very clear that as you get your lunches, cafeteria-style meatloaf, mashed potatoes, some vegetables, nothing fancy, that about two-thirds of the people here seem to be scientists or engineers or something. They're in white smocks, they're in jumpers, and... The rest of them seem to be mercenaries of some kind. Uh, they are men in body armor, plain clothes, no insignias, uh, with whether it be assault rifles, pistols at their side, and they seem to be acting as the security. They're not particularly aggressive or anything, but they are present. So these are not, like, government. Uh, this is not the military. This is not us. You see absolutely no insignia whatsoever that would indicate that these men might be military. Do I recognize their uniforms? Uh, no, they are wearing plain clothes, jeans, you know, button-down shirts, some of them. And, I, sorry, I had another question from earlier. Um, did I, did any of us catch, um, a designation or anything painted on that ship parked in the river? Uh, no, there is no designation or number on it. So it looks kind of like it might be a replica or something? It definitely looks like a replica, yes. Gotcha. Um... I, I kind of want to sit with everybody if there there's a group for me, for sure. Yeah, yeah same. I'll sit with you guys. Um, and, and once we're seated seated down and I'm aware that, you know, no one's around us or anything, uh, I, I'm just going to turn to the group and say, uh, so what, what what's the read? Uh, what do you guys think so far? I, I mean, they got planes closed, uh, you know, dudes walking around with rifles and... Uh, <laughs> I mean, what's the situation here, do you think? I think the mashed potatoes need some more gravy. I think we're in the middle of a James Bond movie. And I mean, like, but look around. Well, I know, yeah, it's pretty high speed here. It's not exactly a run to the grocery store. No, and these aptitude tests before briefing, they're not even telling us where we're going, what we're doing. I, I mean- because they're gonna send some of us away. Yeah, and, and we had nothing on the helo before we, we landed, I, I mean, I, I don't want to be presumptuous or anything like that, but, I, I mean, we're SEALs. We before I, I think we should stick together. Uh, you know, just keep an eye out. These guys, I, I yes, these are mercenaries. So they have no, in my mind, they have no loyalty. Everyone here has each other's backs, correct? Exactly. Yeah, SEALs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But yeah, these mashed potatoes taste like shit. <laughs> Dog shit. <laughs> I'll also point out that you, you guys probably will have noticed that Beaver is dressed similarly to the other dudes guarding the compound. Oh. 
<laughs> Are you with uh, March or whatever it's called? With who? Isn't that it's is it March or Marsh? March Industries. No. Yeah. We, no. What's your story, Beefer? Yeah, what are you doing here? What am I doing here? Yeah. It's not the first time the U.S. government's hired Blackwater. I don't know why you're surprised. Your private military? Uh-huh. Interesting. How many tours have you done, Beefer? About a dozen. Pre and post. Iraq, mostly. A little bit of Afghanistan. Me too. You heard a nicer square? Beefer, would you, would you, Aaron, would you mind elaborating what that means? Because, because all yeah. of you would understand when right. he says that. Um, so nicer square was basically in, um... <laughs> 2007, Blackwater mercenaries contracted by the U.S. government to guard a compound um, in Iraq uh, killed uh, 17 civilians uh, in cold blood. Oh. Nice. Cool. Mm. Great. Oh, I got opinions about you already. (laughs) Well, I mean, sometimes the military sends men and sometimes the military sends dogs. Oh, are there Marine Corps here? Is anybody Marine Corps? Semper Fi. That, that makes sense. I haven't done Europe. Closest I got was uh, the Pacific. I, I was near Korea. You continue having your mediocre lunch before Dr. Thornbill returns to you and says, uh, it's getting late in the day, gentlemen. We have uh, just a few more things for you. And, you know... This is strange. You're you're getting like past two or three o'clock, and no briefing. They they just keep running you through drill after drill. This next one takes place in a kind of large warehouse. Uh, there is no lighting. It is completely dark in there or very poorly lit. And she instructs you basically to attempt to get from one side of the building to the other without being caught by the security cameras. I would like you all to make stealth checks, please. Ooh. <laughs> That's fun. When you forget that stealth is a score. <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> I think this is the first time we've ever used it. <laughs> Damn. 50, 58. Uh, I fail. <laughs> out of 50. I have a 46. I pass. <sighs> 63 out of 70 is a pass for me. 21. Pass. 95 out of 70. I fail. 18 out of 50 pass. Lion and Pinks, you both are traversing through this warehouse thinking you're doing pretty good and then all of a sudden a spotlight just kind of hits you and you hear a voice over the intercom say, Thank you very much, Pinks. Thank you very much, Lion. If you could step out. You know, it's basically just calling you to bring it to an end. But the others manage to get to the end. Lion shoves his way out the door real pissed that he got called out explicitly. (laughs) Pigs is not bothered. (laughs) He's just standing on the sideline. They bring you to another building. This one has an indoor swimming pool. And at the bottom of the pool, Dr. Thornbill explains, is an explosive, a bomb. You are going to suit up in diving gear and you are going to dismantle the bomb in under a certain period of time. You leap in, and the moment you leap in, the timer starts. I'm gonna ask that you all make swim rolls, please. Succeed with a 49. <laughs> succeed with a 40. Fail with an 85. I succeed with a 56 over 60. Uh, that is a success, I have an eight. That's a success for B. You dive in, and you all are able to get to the bottom 
this is this swim roll is for the entire kind of experience under the water. It's clear that downtime has a little bit of a harder time floating and getting around, but nonetheless, you're able to do it. You actually break into teams. There are two separate devices at the bottom, and I'm going to need one person out of each team to make a heavy machinery roll to take apart and dismantle the weapon, and then I need one person from each team to make a demolitions roll to defuse the bomb. Who is going to make that heavy machinery roll, and what what is our grouping? I have no machinery stat. I will take a decent military science as well. I was going to say, I can do military science. Well, I can get one of the military science rolls out of the way, so... Yeah, I have decent demolition, better uh, military science, so I I also feel like I'd probably be on Blue's team, even though I don't like Blue. Okay. I'll take I'll take one of those. I'll go with blue and downtime. Okay. Okay. So then B for pinks and me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So blue downtime and lion. Yes. Uh, you separate yourself and you go towards one of these. They, they, it looks like a uh, like a like a mine, like a classic mine with with, but without the little pieces poking out of it. It's just a, a circular ball. Mm-hmm. Um, who is going to make that heavy machinery roll? I have 50 for military science. I have 60. I also have 60. That's all for you. Uh Uh-oh. I fail with a 70. Uh Uh-oh. And then who is going to make that demolitions roll? Do you want to take it downtime? Yes. Do you have higher than a 40? No, I don't. It's all you. Okay, great. Cool. (laughs) Yo. Oh, you failed too. Do we all just get blown up? I don't like to be rushed. I can't be rushed. That's the whole thing. Hey, I I tell you what, you're not going to have to worry about those mercenaries (laughs) anymore. (laughs) So before we continue, I'd like the roles of the others as well. So Compass, Pinks, and Beefer, who is making your military science roll? I feel comfortable making that roll unless you guys have something higher than an 80. Uh, no, I don't. I have uh, a 60. I have an 80, but yeah, you can roll it. I rolled a 70, straight up. Success. And let who is doing now the demolitions roll? Uh, I have a 40 for demo. What do you have, Eli? Same. I have the 40. <laughs> we all just got the basic 40. It's any man's game. Eli, you sound like you want to do it. Go for it. Yeah, I'll do it. Godspeed. Beautiful. 37. <laughs> Skin of our teeth. So here's what happens. Compass, Pinks, and Beefer, you go to your respective mine. You successfully unlatch it and begin taking apart. You're making record time. Every once in a while, you look over your shoulder and you can see that the other team is struggling. They are behind you. Downtime, Blue and Lion, you open it, but for some reason, you have a difficulty kind of getting it all the way open. So most of the shell is kind of blocking the the explosive and downtime you kind of go in to start working on it lion and blue you are somewhat shielded uh, unable to see what's happening and that's when there is this the you, you feel it more than you hear where you are both lion and blue pushed back in the water and almost immediately, there is nothing but red in the water. You can't see anything. <laughs> what the fuck? 
Are you kidding me? Wizard, you really did it! You really did it! No. You rush to the surface. You all rush to the surface. And at the, 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 the second team, the successful team, is able to see it sooner than the others. There is chunks of downtime floating in the water. And you're, you're all screaming, and you're scrambling out, and you're calling for help. Uh, Dr. Thornbill is there, wide-eyed, completely shocked at what's going on. That's when these mercenaries, about five of them, come running in. And they're yelling, asking what happened. And it's just a, a cacophony of noise as everyone is, is screaming and reacting to this. You know, most of you are saying... Most of you are stunned at the fact that these were actual live explosives. Fucking live yeah, I think I'm probably screaming. What the? Who said these were live? This wasn't supposed to be an actual. What the hell kind of operation are you running here? As I'm like wiping bits of viscera off my body. So, so lion, lion and blue came up okay, right? Lion and blue are being examined by uh, some <laughs> medics, and they appear to be okay, although they do seem kind of beat up. Both of you make Constitution times five rolls. I passed with a 52. Right, 42 out of 60. You you both succeed. It, it, you took it to the chest, but you're okay. I mean, you're breathing. It doesn't feel like anything's broken. You're protesting and you're questioning is almost completely ignored. I mean, the, 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 these men and women are just kind of cleaning up the pool. They're getting you to safety. And Dr. Thornbill comes to you and says, Gentlemen, I am so sorry. We are going to file the necessary paperwork, but we need to continue. <laughs> I'm getting right up in the paperwork. doctor's face. No, I'm getting right up in the doctor's face. I'm going to be like, what kind of clusterfuck operation are you doing? That is a live fucking mind. What the fuck was that? Blue, I, I, I apologize. I assure you. Apologies don't mean shit. He's fucking dead. Do you see that? I want to fuck, and I'll do this where I'll take, like, I'm not going to be rough, but I'm going to take her shoulder and shove it towards the pool. Fucking explain that! Yeah, the moment you touch her, uh, some of these mercenaries uh, lift up their weapons and they start walking towards you. One of them orders you to let her go. I'm gonna get closer to Blues and like, like looking at all the mercenaries, getting like defensive. I'll let go. There's a moment where things calm down a little bit. There are folks fishing a little bit of downtime out of the water with with nets. (laughs) And... With the help of the military, uh, uh, excuse me, with the help of these mercenaries, Dr. Thornbill issues you out of the building. Sergio, I I have a clarification question. Did we sign anything before we came here? Were there any NDAs or anything prepared for us before we arrived? Nothing has been signed. You simply agreed to go into this. Okay. And, And when we were given this mission, was it through... The Navy, or it, was it, it was through various a, channels? Um, a private contract, right? Most of them were you. you the the implication you get the sense that you were recommended. Uh, your name was put in a hat, kind of a situation, right? You are brought to a building that has six cots. Doctor Thornbill asks you to rest for the evening, and that at O six hundred you will be raised to perform a few more drills. <laughs> Is there an ETA on briefing? The mission at hand is... um, I apologize, but I'm really not the one that should be speaking about this. What I need you to understand is that 
I will take every precaution possible to keep you safe. Now? Not earlier, though. When a man died, a Navy SEAL died on your watch. Was that live round intended? Yes. <laughs> Fuck. If it's any consolation, his family will be heavily compensated. Right, that's the word. <laughs> you can consult these nuts. Get the fuck out of here. See you at six. Without another word, she turns and leaves the room. Night, Doc. What do you think the odds are that we could just walk out of this place? Zero. I mean, is zero. it zero, <laughs> negative? You're Pretty totally fucked. Zero. I mean, we wouldn't even make it into the hallway, right? No. We might well, make the hallway. Probably actually, not the next one, though. We could. If we were armed. You probably have at least, I mean, you have at least, like, one personal weapon, yeah. Got it. Not enough to take everyone, though. Are, are there any windows or exits outside of the door we're in? There would be no windows. Okay. Just fluorescent lighting. Can I, it's, um, before we actually all knock out, knock out, can I go ahead and exam, like, look around the room really quick? I'm talking, look under the bedpost, under a mattress, look at corners, uh, see if there's any reflective things like a camera inside. Do I spot anything? Uh, go ahead and make a search roll. 18 out of 20. You search your bed. You kind of look around the room. You check the corners. Eventually, you see a locker and there's like rivets on the corners of the locker. And you just happen to get close enough to tell that one of the rivets is hollow. No, it's not hollow. It's like a tiny, tiny lens in it. Uh, go ahead and make a sanity check. <laughs> First one. First one. First one back. Woo! 70. <gasps> oh my god, that's a success. Oh, I thought I was screwed. 75. How are you that sane? <laughs> you know, uh, Blue, you thought of it, so you're not even that surprised when you do finally find it. No, that's not gonna. I'm just gonna kind of, as I walk away, I'll notice it. Walk away and be like, <clears throat> yeah. I'll just cough. I'll be like, uh, you know, eyes well, in sky. We're on company time. What do you think was gonna happen? Good to know. But with. Uh, quite an unusual end to the day. You lie on your cots and you try to get some rest. And on the dot at 0600, the fluorescent lights flip on and there is Thornbill, this time followed by two mercenaries. <laughs> and she invites you to get up. Completely random question. Was tap or was uh, was there was there like a trumpet, like a bugle blast? Uh, no, there was not. Oh, that's how you know it's private. <laughs> <laughs> you are led outside, you have breakfast, you get dressed, and you are finally led to the destroyer-class ship that is parked along the lake. Fun. Waiting for you is a team of white coats, like usual, but this time there's a unique individual among them. He is a tall, dark-skinned man, sparse white hair on his head. But what is noticeable is that he has these severe burns that cover his cheeks, his mouth, his neck with these pale pink scars. There is a sense that he seems to be in charge as he seems to be really the only one speaking uh, and then the, the other white coats will kind of respond to him. But 
Dr. Thornbill explains that they need you to run a series of drills aboard this vessel. She does say that she is able to let you know that a ship excursion is the first bit of intel she's able to give you about your mission. Boarding this ship is important. However, they have a strange request. They pull out these bulky silver suits. They're thick and cumbersome. They're almost like astronaut suits. But they have little packs on them that produce oxygen. They're, they're like little O2 tanks. And they ask you to get in. They are obnoxious to wear. And the first drill will require you to board the ship and take out any enemies aboard the ship. So my question to you is, as a group of five, how would you like to board this ship? Uh, given that I'm a close quarter combat specialist, I feel like I will want to take the lead on breaching both. Breaching whatever uh, do we defenses. Do we know? I, I assume that we're all well-versed in ways that force your way onto a ship. Yeah. Yes, you would be. You, I mean, it could be as simple as if you want to just kind of board it from the, the gangplank that is connected to the base, or if you would like to use a boat and kind of board it a different way. Well, I think we're SEALs. We might as well drive up with a, a boat or a raft, and then, uh, you know, there are there are uh, sort of entrances at the bottom level of the ship, right? Can um, we cut in from the yes, bottom? Yes, I, I, I've also shared with you a... Um, the, the layout. The layout, well. so if you kind of want to look at it. Yes, if you wanted to attempt to board it from the bottom up, you certainly could, and they would have the the items available to you, the, the cutter and stuff. Cut our way in. That would be Compass's uh, uh, solution, is, is we should dive and then come in through the bottom. And... And he would definitely agree that Lion can play Point Man. So they do offer you the same weapons uh, that you had. There was the uh, the assault rifle, the submachine gun, and a pistol. I didn't sign up to kill U.S. citizens here. Are these live rounds as well? Are you expecting us to kill people playing pretend? You do not have live rounds, and there will not be actual living people on the ship we have cutouts for you targets targets do we have right. any information of how many hostiles are on ship you do not okay does the test include exfil do we have to escape the ship afterwards no hmm. interesting question are we going to the number one block and working our way to 80 or are we doing 80 to one i think we start in the middle in the middle now that splits us that puts enemies on either side. Exactly. I say yeah. 1 to 80. Work our way through. You are all skilled enough to do this properly. You get into your suits, you dive, you get to the bottom of the ship, you bore a hole through it, and you enter. I'd like you all to give me either firearms or heavy weapons checks. So, can I, have, can I ask a question? Just like, uh, yeah. question. So we have the like weird silver suits underneath our like wetsuits and stuff? Uh, no. Those are the wetsuits. Oh, wild. Okay. S success with a 61. <sighs> a success, success with a 44. 44. Hey! Oh, <laughs> what are the odds? That's crazy. We said it at the same time. <laughs> so weird. What? Dang. That's gotta mean something. What the fuck? Isn't that a crit, though? If yeah, that's a crit. Yeah, success. it's a crit. Three crits. Okay, so did everyone succeed? No, I got an 80. 
Blue, you are kind of lagging behind, but sure enough, Lion, Beefer, Compass, you guys, uh, Pinks as well is able to do a great job. You all manage to get shots off, and sure enough, you know, you, you turn corners, and there is a cardboard cutout of, you know, a man in a black mask holding an assault rifle, and you guys shoot it apart. Um, you do an incredible job. Right. You've done this many, many times before. Uh, it, it's almost to the point where you're wondering why they are making you go through these stupid tests. When you complete the, the, the drill, you end up on the top of the ship and there is a um, uh, uh, an alarm sound uh, kind of signifying the end of the drill. And you hear over the loudspeaker, Very good. Please step off the ship or we're going to run you through it again. You step off the ship and you can see engineers running on with new um, boards, new new targets. We're getting paid for this, right? Every day. Good. <laughs> but I don't care. Dr. Thornbill says this time we would like you to board the ship and you are going to avoid killing any hostages and you will end the drill aboard the ship. Understood? There will be a difference in the in the cutouts, I assume? Yes. Okay. I'd like everyone to make con times five rolls for me. Let me watch out for fail. the old ladies with grocery sacks. Oh. Children with astrophysics books. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Success with an 84. Whoa, damn. How high is your constitution? I failed with a 97. I have a 10. I have a crit success with a 55. You are all starting to feel that extra bit of fatigue wearing these suits. They are heavy and they are obnoxious. Compass, it's hitting you a little bit harder than everyone else. Maybe it's your age, who knows, but you are going to be at a minus 20% for this next drill. Gotcha. You board the ship. This time, are you going to board it the same way? Why don't we spice it up a little? We don't want to do the same thing twice. If it's the most logical way that's been proven to be successful, we should absolutely do the same thing twice. But where's the fun in that? Maybe he has a point, though. This, If this is what they're going to throw us at, is a destroyer, then we should at least know it inside and out. Maybe we run the same route backwards. All right, we run it backwards. You enter the ship, this time from the opposite side. Uh, I am not going to make you make firearms rolls. However, you find that they added obstructions random parts of the ship that are blocked and unable to be passed. I'd like you all, or you can designate one person, to make either a navigation or a uh, military science role. Oh, fam, I got you. <laughs> what do you have? In navigate? Nav? Oh, yeah, what's your nav? I'm just curious. Uh, I got an 80 to match oh, my... Oh, baby boy! My military science, which is also an 80. Let's go. Navigators. Yeah. <laughs> Shows the way. Yeah, 42. <laughs> success. Okay. With a success, sure enough, you come up to a couple of these obstructions, but it's almost as if Compass has already memorized the ship, and he's able to redirect you down an alternate path, and you are able to complete the drill. Again, the alarm goes off, um, and you hear the voice over the intercom. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Please come down. We're going to run you through one last time. You step off and take a few minutes to relax. You know, they have a private tent for you that you're able to sit down and get drinks or food or whatever it is you need. A few minutes pass. Uh, again, everyone, please give me a con times five roll. You do not have to be at a minus 20 for this uh, compass. Okay. Um, just roll the con well, times five roll. fuck. 87. Success with a 21. Success with a 50. 
Success for the 28. 27. So everyone succeeds except Compass. <laughs> Compass, it's too much. You, you, you literally can tell that you're about to pass out from the strain. And a medic comes over, inspects you, Thornbill questions the medic, and Thornbill actually requests that you sit down, sit out for this uh, scenario. Understood. She asks you to, you know, get a drink and to relax. And so Lion, Beefer, Pinks, and Blue, you are entering the drill. How are you entering? How about a boat this time? Sure. I'll drive. (laughs) All right. Let me let me um, back up a little bit. This third and final trial, they asked that you would board and that you would find and defuse a bomb. They have a small boat, small dinghy, almost as they were expecting you to do this. You all hop in, you kind of do a little U-turn and you come around the back side of the ship or to the, to the correct side that you want. And sure enough, using ropes or however you want to enter, you are able to climb aboard the ship. You begin kind of going through the ship. And at first, there doesn't seem to be anybody on the deck. There's nothing visible. And then out of out of one of the corners, who is currently leading? I'm probably still on point. Out of a corner appears a mercenary, and he begins firing at you. Oh, fuck. He succeeds with a 28. Is he shooting fucking live rounds at me? Lion, you are shot in the shoulder with four points of damage. That motherfucker. Beefer screams, down, down, down! All hell breaks loose as you realize this is a live fire drill. I'm firing fucking back. Fuck this shit. Okay. Uh, You and Compass have the highest initiative. Compass is not there. So Allegra, excuse me, Lion, you are going ahead and fire your weapon. What are you using? Uh, Probably just the medium pistol that I have strapped to my side. That's my, that's my chosen, like my, uh, my preferred weapon. And it's what my hand automatically goes to. Okay. Go ahead and roll the attack. Firearms, yeah? Yeah. 58. Success. Friend. Seven. Uh, you shoot him right in the throat, and he just stumbles back dead. Oh no, I didn't want to kill someone. Fuck! Nope. Fuck him. He shot you. Nope. Nope. Good job first. That was, nope. that was Allegra. That wasn't Lion. Lion just kind of has a stone face. With the fact that you now know this is a live fire drill, what are you doing? We need two people to go find that bomb, and we need other two people to try to protect and kill off people. You you have only seen one person, but as as you are talking, you hear uh, some ricochets off of metal. It seems that there is someone behind you now. Sergio, can I do one thing really quick? Yes, what would you like to do? I drop a smoke grenade. Okay. Aaron, every campaign! <laughs> every game! Sure, so you, you drop the snow, smoke grenade, I assume, in the direction of the bu- of the uh, bullets that you just heard? Yeah, and I scream, cover, cover, cover! Uh, I will say that is your turn. If you wanted to move, you certainly can. Yeah, if I could, any covered position I can take, I would like to move into. Gotcha. Pinks, what do you do? You see the smoke coming up behind you. And you can hear somebody kind of running forward. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to see that it's B for running and I'm going to follow him, but I'm going to cover him uh, and hold my weapon up and fire it if somebody tries to shoot at me. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, Amanda Blue, what would you like to do? Uh, Because someone is running up towards us, correct? Yes. And I know Pinks has got an eye on that. I'm actually, because of the smog, I'm going to go ahead and pull out my combat knife. And I'm also going to hold action until I actually see who's coming up. And then when they can, I'm going to go ahead and try to strike them and get them seduced. Sure enough, at the end of your turn, 
another mercenary, one that you've seen around, you, you've, you've recognized them before, and they're, they're sweaty, they're wide-eyed, they've got their, their, their weapon out, they have a pistol, and as soon as they see you, Pinks, they fire, but you are able to fire as well. Go ahead. That's a success with a 54. It's the automatic rifle. That's the rifle. Uh, that's a D12 plus two. That is uh, five points of damage. You shoot him in the, ch- like, square in the chest, and he stumbles back into the smoke. But he also fired at you, and he is going to clip you in the shoulder for two points. Nah. Beefer, would you like, excuse me, Blue, would you like to pursue him into the smog? Uh, I'm going to move in that direction and pursue. Uh, go ahead and make a search roll. 69, dudes. Is that a success? <laughs> it's not, but it's just <laughs> funny to it's say. It's just nice. Okay. <laughs> you, you... You go in there, but you just can't see anything. You don't see him. You're not able to get off your attack. No, I would have only gone if I, because I saw them just enter. If I immediately can't see them from how thick it is, I am doubling back just as fast, still crouching, so I don't have any friendly fire coming my way. I mean, I'm hauling it back because this is a bad spot. I'm sorry. While Blue is running back, can I can I uh, can I blow my my action to lay down suppressing? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, go ahead and make an attack. Succeed with a 56. With uh, with my assault Pain. carbine. Does it have a lethality or no? Yes, 10%. Okay, go ahead and roll that. Okay, is that, a, is that another D100 roll? Yes, you want to roll D100 and get under 10%. <laughs> uh, that is a 91, so no. Okay, blue kind of rushes past you and you just start opening fire. And where you saw a couple of gunshots, you suddenly just hear someone, Ugh! and they're oh silent. Noise. Wasn't even tracked. <laughs> Before we proceed, um, I'd like you all to make sanity checks for realizing that the drill is yep. a live fire roll. Makes sense. Yep. Makes sense. Tracks. 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 Pass with tracks. a twenty-six. Success with a seventy-one. Success with a success with a sixty-eight. Fail with a ninety-two. Okay. If you succeed, you lose no sanity. If you fail, you're going to roll a d4. All right. Let's see. Okay, you can project that if you'd like. Otherwise, you're going to lose two sanity. I'll just lose it. It seems as if you have a moment here. What are you guys doing? We need to get down into the ship and find that bomb. Yeah. Yep, we need to move. We got to move. Okay, someone give me a navigation roll or a military science roll. I'd say navigation. We need to get get this mission done with so we don't kill anyone else. I can roll it. It's on you, Pinks. Go ahead. That is a success with a 50. Nice. You are able to, you've been on this ship twice now. You are able to navigate through it. You do see the occasional mercenary, but you either duck out of the way, close the door in time. They are not able to get to you. And you do finally reach the room that they instructed had the weapon. I need someone to make a demolition roll. Uh, does anyone have more than a 40? <laughs> I got a 40. I just got 40 too. Got 40s. <laughs> I'll, I can try it. All right, uh, Caleb, you had a question. Yeah, I was going to say, from the, like, Lollapalooza cool-down tent they have me in, <laughs> can I hear that there's crossfire? Yes. That there's two sources? Oh, shit. Yes, and, and okay. when you step out of the tent, you can see that there is smoke kind of coming from the top of the ship. Um, the scientists are taking fastidious notes, and Dr. Thornbill gestures to you to stay calm. Right, Okay. Who's making that demolitions roll to try to defuse this bomb? 
Lion definitely thinks he's, uh, like, he's the one that's supposed to be doing this. He thinks he's supposed to be here. Oh, he shouldn't oh no! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> he goes in, he goes in confident, he goes in a little bit cocky, he goes in knowing he has been point on this, and he rolls a 97. Wow. <sighs> Fuck me sideways. Off bridge! Lion, you just take too long. You take long enough for one of them to find you. Shit. The other, um... The other seals, the other mercenaries, you can see a man step through the door. He raises his pistol and he fires right at Lion. Lion, you take six points of damage. Still up. Somehow. What are, do you have one or two points of health? I have four points of health. You have four. So you kind of crumble to the ground, but you are still conscious. We'll start at the highest initiative, which I believe is Lion. What would you like to do? Uh, from my position crumbled on the floor, I would like to return fire. Okay, go ahead. All right. Uh, solid 50. Pass. Solid 50. You, uh, do hit them and go ahead and roll your damage. Uh, it's just, it's just a d10, I believe, right? It's a d10. Okay, yeah, five. Uh, you shoot them in the leg, they crumble backwards and they begin screaming and they begin attempting to scramble out of the of the area. However, I believe the next person is Beefer. Finish the job, I got the door. I will take up um, a covered position uh, beside the door uh, and I will um, A, try to finish off the guy that's running away. Uh, so that it doesn't cause any more problems. Uh, and B, keep an eye out so that whoever tries to disarm the bomb next doesn't have the same thing happen to them that happened to Lion. Okay, roll an attack against this person. I'll give you a plus 20% because they're basically just crawling away from you. Okay. Well, that is a success with a 62. Okay. Uh, you fire at them, and I will say that you kill them. They stop moving. We still need a demolitions check to complete this drill. I will roll the demolitions check if I'm okay. next. No, that's a 77. That's a fail. You also attempt to uh, defuse the bomb. You're having a hard time. I mean, just the the intensity of the situation is getting to you. I got big hands. I'm definitely in the way, like trying to help and being no help at all, being like. Yeah, lion's blood is like all over this thing, you know? Eventually, there is an alarm that goes off. And after some time, you are met with some medics who come in and put Lion on a stretcher and begin pulling them out, and you can hear uh, the request for you to step out of the ship as the drill is over. I'm not sure I buy that. I'm going to, like, as Lion is being escorted, like, getting out, I'm going to be like, stay strong, you got this. Like, trying to just be somewhat encouraging. I'll, I'll, like, fist pump in his direction. (laughs) I don't know. What did, what did dudes, what did soldier dudes do? Yeah, I think they you got it. it. I you think you it. nailed it. You're right. Good, good job. I don't know. <laughs> you are met outside by Dr. Thornville and the other scientists. The tall one, the dark-skinned man with the bad scarring on his face seems pleased. They all seem pleased in a weird way. Um, it's hard to quantify. Just their their kind of demeanor has changed a little bit, almost as if they were expecting this outcome. But 
Dr. Thornbill, ever the apologist of the group, apologizes profusely and says, we're done with the drills today. We're going to take you to relax. Please come with me. We're going to take you to the showers and we will then explain what is happening, okay? We'll, we will explain everything. <sighs> and she begins to lead you in the direction of a building. Yeah, what is it? Just the... the is Lion with us, or...? Uh, Lion, as you begin walking away, Lion is being taken in a different direction. Sorry, um, is any of the mercenaries following Lion? Yes. Okay, log. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and just as dejected a, fel- a feeling about that last round of everything, I'm just going to go ahead and head towards like the showers. Beefer, blue, compass, and pinks, you are brought to a facility, and inside there is a kind of a classic locker room, tiled floors. Um, you are in a big square room that has lockers, blue lockers, kind of lining the the perimeter, as well as the center of the room, there are lockers. And, you know, explain to me what the the mood is. Explain to me what everyone's doing as you come in and they close the door behind you. You know what? I think Beefer, I think this he's used to this shit. I don't think he he is really phased either way. He's already been paid, so I think he just acts like it's been a normal day and, and, and cleans himself up and goes on about his day. I think that Compass is a little apprehensive over Lions not coming back yet. Um, he's looking out, uh, interested in how that goes about and whether they're going to go the downtime route or not. Um, but outside that, he's just hoping for some sort of briefing so he can make an opinion for himself of whether he's gotten his self, uh, you know, too far in over his head. Um, Blue is. Uh, extremely frustrated by everything because even though they did sign up for it, it was... They feel like everything's turning into a clusterfuck of epic proportions. So um, they're just gonna... Honestly, they're gonna probably uh, after they shower, they're gonna go to the, near their bed and just do a bunch of push-ups regardless because it's so frustrating. So they're gonna do that, but also afterwards they will pull out some photos that he has stashed in his jacket, which is of of a loved one. Just stare at it afterwards. Uh, Pinks is going to hop in that shower uh, and try to wash the day off uh, and then put their headphones on, like crank it up as loud as possible. You can kind of hear Gundam style going on. And he's just trying to like, you know, he's got a small like smile on his face. He's trying to like, like on the outside seem okay, but just kind of a little peeved and irritated on the inside. After a few minutes of everyone kind of cooling down, you hear a shrill whine, which rapidly starts to build to a crescendo. It seems to be emanating from the room, and then it just dies off into a barely audible droning, like the hum of a power transformer. What do you do? Would, would I hear that through my headphones? Yes. Yeah, you do. Is it, like, bothersome? Like, it's so loud that, like, you couldn't sleep or ignore it? Or is it, like... It's obvious is the is, is the best way I can explain. It's very obvious. And, and, and to be clear, it's not something that we would normally expect to happen. It, it's... I mean, you almost assume that a pipe is about to burst or something. It's just a very 
not expected sound. Could I ask that all of you make power times one rolls? So we're rolling power times one, which is just our power times score. one. So it's just your base score. Oh, I fail. Jeez, oh, I fail. Okay. I succeed with a with a twelve. Um, please make a note, Pinks, that you should just write power times two somewhere. Uh, Blue, do you succeed? No, I had a 63. I had a 63 too. <gasps> you guys are really in sync this day. <laughs> <laughs> so you all start to feel, at first you think it's lightheaded, but then you realize it's like, it's kind of like after doing a bump. It's kind of like after smoking a J, you're, you feel stimulated. <laughs> Which of course, none of us know what that feels like. Of course. <laughs> You're sweating a little bit. You feel a little tingly. It kind of feels good. And then, Pinks, you are the first to see it. The entire room becomes saturated in this opaque pink light, like this ultraviolet light. It's beautiful. It's this beautiful color that just everything becomes kind of fuchsia. And... The air becomes like a viscous liquid. You can feel it, it's heavy. It's slightly heavier than like water, but you can move through it. And anytime you move, any kind of gross motor movement creates this rainbow-like trail effect that is really quite mesmerizing. And I want all of you to make a sanity check, please. <laughs> Great. That's fair. 22. I pass with a 48. Succeed with a 52. Holy shit. Pass with a 75 and a 75. You are all able to maintain your composure. You don't lose any sanity. But this is... I mean, did they did they dose you? Did they inject you with something? Did they put something in the breakfast? I'd like everyone to, again, make power times one rolls. Pinks, you can make a power times two roll. So whatever your base score is times two. I fail with the 26. Fail with the 53. I pass with a 14. Nice. Damn. Oh, I succeed then. What is everyone doing in this moment? I mean, you can see this. I mean, it, 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 it almost feels like you've entered a new space. What are, you, what, are, what are the four of you doing in this moment? I'm just laughing and vibing. I'm just looking at it, just going. <laughs> it's all pink. So you're like moving your hands around and like looking at the trail effect. Yeah, I'm a dum dum. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, I'm gonna move and open the door and try and get out into the hallway and see if there's any of the scientists or Thorn, Thorn or or any of these people around. You step to the door and it's locked, huh? Beefer is starting to wonder if uh, this isn't uh, this this isn't downtime as they as they said it was supposed to be. Yeah, this is another test. Um, Blue's kind of like, all right. So if the door's locked and all that, Blue's just gonna go ahead and uh, sit on the edge of the bed and just kind of like keep their shit together, just because they don't yeah. know if they're gonna end up passing yeah. out or not. So that's why Likewise, they, they go to the bed, just in case if they pass out, they have something to fall on. Like, well, I think Beefer is probably thinking back to his um, um, to his torture training mm -hmm. and going through kind of the same set of, of steps at, at keeping calm. 
Um, I think Beaver probably recognizes he's been intentionally exposed to something, uh, and he's just trying to uh, retain his composure. Blue, you sit down, and you're trying to maintain your composure, and Pink's, you're kind of moving your hands around. It's at that time that you both notice, out of the corner of your eye, you catch something, you notice something, and you look, and almost as if it was being drawn in real time, this eel-like creature. It has no eyes, starts kind of floating down from the ceiling. It has these sharp, jagged teeth, and it looks like a moray eel, but again, like this bright pink kind of glowing creature. And Blue, you notice another one, and as Compass begins moving towards the door, he leaves this incredible shimmering trail behind him, and all of these creatures start drawing their attention towards him, and they very quickly begin swimming towards him. What are you doing? Stop! I'm gonna shout, stop. Uh, hopefully, com- if, that, if Compass stops at that, but I will try to get uh, their attention so they can turn around and see the, this fucking shit. Compass, you hear Blue screaming, stop, and you turn and you are confused because you don't see anything. And that's when you suddenly feel something just clamp right onto your chest. And you can see immediately these holes just kind of appear in your chest. This thing, pinks and blue, you see attack compass. Compass, you take four points of damage. Oh fuck. What happens blue and pinks is you see blood begin coming out of Compass, and it's inside this creature. It seems to be sucking the blood out of him. Compass, you can now see your blood almost floating out of you into some kind of invisible container. I need everyone to make sanity checks, please. Oh, what the please. fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? 35, pass. I fail with the 65. 10. Succeed. Uh, pass with a 45. Okay, those of you that pass, you're going to lose one sanity. Compass, you fail, you're going to roll a d6. Zach, I'm so glad we get to vibe without fucking pink eels. I love this. This is a great show, okay? (laughs) I rolled a five. Okay, you can either project that or you're going to lose five sanity, which means you will enter a a state of panic. I'm going to project two onto my bond. Okay, remove that two from your bond and from your willpower. Gotcha. Nonetheless, this happens. Let's start at the top of the initiative. Beefer, you have the highest dexterity. You see across the room, Compass is now being attacked by something invisible, and you can see the blood starting to trickle out of him. My priority is uh, survive and adapt, so if something's attacking Compass, I'm not going to go near him unless I feel that it is operationally necessary for me to do so. I'm going to look for a towel. Is there a towel nearby? Sure, yeah. And I am going to attempt to uh, use the towel um, to keep any uh, of uh, any any similar attacker off of myself, using it as, as an impromptu weapon. At this point, you all notice there's a high ceiling to this locker room, and one of the walls kind of lifts up and retracts and reveals glass plating where you can see scientists looking down at you and you hear over a loudspeaker a male voice says if you wish to live you 
must shut down the device hidden within the lockers. It is the only way to rid yourself of these assailants. And not another word is said. Now, it is, I believe, Pink's turn. Oh, I'm sorry, Compass, it's your turn. Um, I mean, I see that the blood is slowly lifting from my body and, 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 you know, the others are watching on in horror. Clearly, it's not something they can get close on. I'm going to try and grab at the invisible assailant, pull it clean from my chest. Go ahead and uh, make a, I think it's an unarmed combat roll. Okay. Uh, you're going to make it at minus 20 because all you see is this kind Thank of trickle God. of blood. Uh, with the minus 20, it would take me down to a 40. I have a 50, so I failed by 10. Despite what the player, Caleb, believes is a failure, nonetheless, Compass is able to grab onto this thing. Would you like to do some damage to it? Yeah, I want to rip it clean. Okay, go ahead and I think it's a D4 minus 1 is uh, just an unarmed attack. Uh, it's a 3. Okay, you, you how, how do you do damage to this thing? Uh, I think once I have it, like in my hands, there's that awareness that there's a pulling at my chest and I start to, to understand it's on me. And so I want to rip it like a leech and just pull full, uh, full from my, my chest there. Yeah, sure enough, you do. And as you're doing it, you're just squeezing it so hard that you, I mean, it has to be doing some kind of damage to this thing. Uh, and blood just kind of spurts out of your chest uh, once you rip it off. All right, now let's go to Pink's. What are you doing? The good time has suddenly stopped being a good time. <laughs> it's not fun anymore. Um, since they've finally given us the directive, Pinks is going to then go to the lockers and start opening them and trying to find whatever device that they're talking about. Okay, what, what lockers are you going to? There is, as I said, a perimeter of them around this big square, and there are ones right in the center as well. Um, I'm going to go to the one in the center. Okay, go ahead and make a search roll. I fail with a 48. You are opening the lockers one by one, and all you see is metal backing. You, you, I mean, you literally spend your entire turn opening maybe 10 or 12 of them, and there's nothing inside any of them. Uh, Blue, you can see that all of this movement that Pink's is doing is starting to attract some of the creatures, some of these eel creatures that are now starting to float towards Pink's. What are you doing? And you can see also that Compass is in the middle of gra grappling one of them. Okay, so what I'm going to do is, uh, since the center is being covered, I'm going to go ahead and go to the ones on the perimeter. And as I'm moving it, I'm going to go ahead and try to move a little bit slower because I'm hopefully, if, if that eel crosses paths, because it looks like they're heading towards pinks, I'm going to because I, I still have my combat knife from earlier, I'm going to go ahead and undercut jaw that motherfucker if it gets too close. Gotcha. So you put the combat knife in your mouth and you yeah. kind of start moving over. Go ahead and give me a search roll. I have a 27 and the search is a 20. Oops. The failure is partly due yeah. to the fact that you move very slowly, you know, trying not to attract these creatures. Yeah. And the trail is lessened by you. But just as if you were to walk through water, there is a ripple effect. And though it isn't as intense as Pink's and Compass's at the moment, you do seem to be making a trail and it could possibly attract uh, these creatures. But you get to the lockers, you start opening the ones along the wall, and it's just, th th there's nothing in these. At the top of the initiative, these eels suddenly dart towards pinks, and one of them is going to make an attack at you. 
but it fails. It kind of swims past you and, you know, uh, 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 Blue warns you, so you kind of look and are able to kind of dodge out of the way in time. And it kind of smashes into the locker. It actually goes into one of the lockers and is now kind of, you know, swirling around inside it, trying to regain its sense of balance. We go to the top of the initiative with Beefer. Oh, I'm sorry. The top of the initiative is actually Compass, so Compass, go ahead. Do I still have one attached to me, or was that the only one? It is not attached to you. It is wriggling very hard in your hands. Can I see it, or is it still invisible to me? Make a power times one roll. Uh, 45. I do not see it. <laughs> it's it's the freakiest feeling to have this thing that feels very much alive and you cannot see it. Well, as much as he would love to find this fucking thing in the locker, so there's no way he's going to sacrifice his life to do it. He has to kill this thing first. Um, do I have a... Uh, I don't have a blade on me or... or a... Sure, I, I would say you would if you wanted okay. to use it. I'd like to use that. Draw it from the side and take a swipe with it. That's a success with the straight 20. Straight 20, and go ahead and roll a d6. And that's a full six. You slice whatever this thing is, and you can see your blood that has been floating in the air suddenly kind of all just kind of fall out and spill onto the floor. It's a decent amount, too. Ugh. But you are... Uh, you, you have g- defeated this thing. You do have your movement if you want to more, move towards a locker. Perfect. I, I do want to ask a question about the locker. Hopefully I can get an answer this turn. It's totally cool if it's too much, but is there anything denoting them? Is there a name on any of them? Is there information, a locker number, or, or make Make a alertness roll. Okay. A 25, which is a pass for me. While everyone is opening them up, you can tell that the lockers have a pretty decent amount of space behind them, the ones in the center. Oh, Okay, um, I'm going to call out to the rest of the group. The ones in the center, we got to break through the other side. It's a hidden compartment. The center's bigger than the others. Uh, and I'll start moving towards there. We'll say you kind of get up beside Pink's. It is Beefer's turn. So gathering that they're like T-Rexes, <laughs> Beefer probably stands as still uh, as possible glances around for a second as explosively as possible fling the towel across the room to try to create the decoy to draw off these things attentions before moving to the lockers to start searching the interior nice gotcha i like that um let's see what would that be you can either make a melee weapon or a persuade roll or, or a survival. I'll even allow you a survival, too. Survival in May. Survival is by higher, so I'll take survival if I can. Success with a 51 out of 60. Your instincts kick in, and you take the towel, and you chuck it across the room. It creates this very vibrant uh, light trail, and you do notice several, several of the creatures start swimming quickly towards it, and I assume you run to the lockers. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm slower than the towel. I'm moving slower than the towel. I want to point that out. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll move to the center lockers and I'll start trying to search the cavity in the middle. Uh, Blue, you have, you, you currently see everyone kind of congregating towards the center lockers. What are you doing? I'm also going to rush, but be sure to slam the locker and I'll be like the eels in there so it doesn't come out. I'll say it's a free action. You can run up to it and slam the locker shut. Yeah, lock or slam uh, uh, shut, and then I'm going to go ahead and help go ahead and rip it up so we can get to this thing. Okay, um, if you'd like, make a strength times five roll. I got a five. 
Yes. So you, along with everyone else who has kind of reached this area, you all begin pulling on this, and sure enough, the lockers begin to fall over, and you all kind of leap out of the way as it clatters to the ground, loud. And you see this incredible display of light as it begins to uh, uh, light up this ethereal space you are now in. Any creatures that had not noticed you now notice you. But here's what you see. There is a wooden table in between all these lockers, and there is a device about as wide as a suitcase sitting on the table in the middle. It looks like a Tesla coil with tuning forks that are protruding from either end of the cylindrical head. And it is obvious that whatever is happening is coming from this machine. So, at the top of the initiative, Compass, what would you like to do? I think I want to take a closer look at this machine and see how it is I can best disrupt it. Make a uh, make a military science or a computer science roll. Or engineering, if you have it. I'm not sure. Military science trumps those other two. Uh, 51 is a success for me. After studying it for a moment, you can see a control panel, and you quickly begin hitting buttons. And eventually, you tap one of the buttons, and you hear that constant hum, that electrical hum, suddenly give out. And in a moment, a few seconds, the pink, the fuchsia in the room just sort of disappears, and these strange wriggling creatures that are, right now, they're kind of like attacking the, the locker, just suddenly vanish. And you are left back in this room with everything back to normal. What do you do? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> all I want to know. <laughs> you uh, you all kind of look in the direction of this plate glass window that I explained, and you can see several scientists, including Dr. Thornbill, uh, the dark-skinned man with the heavy scarring, all standing there, and they begin clapping. You don't hear the clapping, as it's probably very thick glass, but you can see it. And they all seem very pleased, and they exit, they kind of disappear from sight. Where the fuck is my briefing? I just, I think we are even more fucked than before. Beeper sighs and takes another shower. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go through the, like, first aid, tr <laughs> whatever I could do to assist the fucking hole in my chest. Yeah, you, you can take, like, a towel that, that uh, beefer through and kind of wrap it around. The door that was locked becomes unlocked. And stepping through are the scientists, along with some mercenaries. They're clapping. And this man, this tall, dark-skinned man, says, Very good. I, I was expecting you just to smash it to bits, but I I'm impressed. You figured out how to turn it off. Who are you? Uh, you can call me Dr. Tafham. Tafham. T-A-P-H-A-M. I'm sure you're all very curious as to what's going on, and we are at the point in which we can tell you. I will go to the bench. I will put my leg up in a very exaggerated way and be like, Oh, please, 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 no rush. Please. Well, if you wouldn't mind, uh, actually, if you could follow us to another room, we've got some coffee and donuts for you, and we'll explain everything. Where's Operative Lion? Oh, you don't have to worry about Operative Lion anymore. <laughs> I assure you, what I'm going to tell you is going to make all of this very clear. 
I need a medic. Medic, medic! He, he, he snaps his finger and a medic immediately rushes over to you. Don't take him. No, he doesn't take him anywhere. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead and roll a d4. No, it's a one, so I'll take it. You are led once again into another room. It looks to be a briefing room. There are posters on the wall, printouts. Um, there's even a projector. And there's all this kind of math and strange stuff on the walls. But they sit you down and this man, this Dr. Taffam, begins explaining what it is you just saw. And he says that this uh, device that you just shut down is colloquially known as a Tillinghast resonator. He begins going into the math and the science of it, and to be honest, for some of you, it kind of goes over your head, but the gist of it is that it creates a resonance, a kind of magnetic field, and it builds a large electromagnetic charge within specific ranges, which affect the human brain. That, that odd sensation you felt when you started seeing the colors, it's because it wakes a dormant organ within your brain that allows you to see beyond normal vision. What are you guys all thinking? It's over my head. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just trying to take as many notes as I can and and trying to figure out how this pertains to whatever it is they're going to have us do. Yeah, uh, Blue's also very like very analytical right now and taking notes. They're not associating like from an emotional point of view. Yeah, it's point A to point B right now because I know they'll kill us if we think otherwise. He goes on and says that the problem is that these perceptions allow you not only to see into this other dimension, but the denizens of that dimension are able to see and interact with you, hence the bite he points to Compass's shoulder. They generally attack any type of gross motor movement. So if you want to be safe, I suggest you keep the policy of Blue and Beefer of standing still. But unfortunately, you're not, really not going to be able to do a lot of standing still on this mission. So this this thing opens our perceptions, but it also allows them to see us just as well, whatever these are. You have it perfectly right. And this is what, like the fourth dimension? I wouldn't call it a fourth dimension. It's a super dimension that is coterminous with our own. Uh, we've dubbed it end space. Uh, coterminous? What? Coterminous? Coterminous, as in it exists alongside our four dimensions. Holy shit, are we in Constantine? I, I just say that out loud without thinking. Like, that thought just popped in my head. He, he, uh, Taffam looks at the other scientists like, I, I don't get that reference. <laughs> of course he doesn't. However you would like to understand it, uh, yes. Now, this gets me to the bigger point. Uh, a machine like this extremely focused source of electromagnetism was turned on in 1943 aboard the USS Eldridge. Does that ring any bells to you? No, but is it a destroyer class? It is, much like the ship we have replicated outside. No kidding. This electromagnetism was so strong that we believe the Eldridge was... Well, we believe that it punched a hole into end space, pulling the ship into the dimension. The Eldridge bubble has all of the aspects of our four dimensions. It has gravity, time, etc. But it exists in end space. Air is not common in end space. It's mostly a vacuum, uh, mostly that aether that uh, that you came across, the 
fuchsia-colored material. Uh, so that is why we developed the N-Space survival suits, the silver suits you were wearing outside a little earlier. That's why you needed seals. You needed divers. Exactly. <laughs> Shit. Which gets me to the, the problem. If the resonator aboard the Eldridge is not shut off, it will cause a cascading effect of math I don't want to go into at the moment, but it will ultimately result in the destruction of our solar system by 2053. And he dramatically pauses to see your reaction. So we're going back in time? Is that what you're saying? He He's so pleased that you seem to be understanding what he is saying. He's like, precisely, in, in a manner, in a sense. Uh, you see, here's what our solution is. Uh, many scientists have worked over this over the years. Many projects, many people have died to get us to where we are. But our plan is to attune you to a very large resonator that we have on site, which I have dubbed the Concern, and he seems very proud of that. But you will attune to this resonator, and you will be sucked into N-Space, and you will be attracted through magnetism to the Eldridge, uh, which you would then board and uh, complete your mission. Stop the resonator. Exactly. What you must do is we will provide you with some C4 explosive. You will go in with assault rifles, uh, submachine guns, pistols, whatever you need, and your mission is to enter the conning tower, and he clicks a button, and the projector displays uh, a kind of cutout of a USS Destroyer class. And he points to this large tower in the center of the ship. And he says, you must infiltrate the conning tower, conning spelled C-O-N-N-I-N-G, you will place the explosive, and the explosive will disrupt the electromagnetism, and we theorize it will bring the Eldridge back to its original time in 1943. I, a question. So everyone aboard will be dead when we arrive? Yes, well, that, uh, that brings me to the, the unfortunate uh, outcome, which is that due to the massive amounts of T-radiation, gas radiation, that you are going to be exposed to, uh, both uh, through the Concern and through N-Space, you are likely not going to survive. In fact, we know you're not going to survive. <laughs> and he kind of pauses, and he's trying to gauge whether, whether it seems like you want to know what he's about to say. We don't come back from this. Well, you... It's a one-way trip, yes. And if we say no? It's, it's a one-way trip regardless. <laughs> they told us some shit, guys. He looks at you specifically, Compass, and he says, Jonah Langley, I know for a fact that you are going to go. I know that uh, Mr. Aselu, Pink's over there, is going to go because we find your bodies in 1943 aboard the Eldridge. What? I'd like you both to make sanity checks. <laughs> What the fuck did you just say? Uh, I'd like all four of you to make sanity checks. Oh, yeah, checks. I was already getting ready to roll that one. <laughs> I, <laughs> clearly instinctively picks up dice. Finally, I failed. Failed with a 96. Clearly, Compass is fine with this. I have a five. 34 pass. Succeed with a 62. If you succeed, you're going to lose one sanity. If you fail, you're going to roll a d4. 
Well, that's a four. If you'd like, you can project. Otherwise, you will take that four sanity loss. He only says the name of John Langley, Compass, and Nolan K. Aselu, Pinks. He does not say your names, Beefer and Blue, but he begins showing you evidence. He, he kind of nods to Dr. Thornbill, who kind of starts cycling through some photos, and he begins to explain the very complicated Project Garnet, which was dedicated to finding you. They found your bodies and using reverse engineering, studying dental implants and the strange weapons that you had or the bodies that were found were had. They were able to eventually using a missing child's network uh, that your parents signed you up for, they were able to find you. And they start cycling through photos, Nolan and John, of you as children of you graduating, uh, clearly photos of some third person who were taking photos of you. These people have been following you your entire life. You're joking. The fuck? You're kidding, you're fucking kidding. What the fuck is this? Tafum kind of ends his presentation by saying, you see, gentlemen, you were destined to go aboard the Eldridge and you were destined to save the world. I'm gonna raise my hand. And the other two schmucks you didn't say. Any info on R? He kind of stumbles for a moment and he says, I'm sorry, uh, Beefer? Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Blue? Um, we never find your bodies, so I don't know what happens to you. I assume the worst. <laughs> oh, trust me. Me too. I'm already there. But you're telling me there's a chance. So what were, what were the others to you guys then? Uh, downtime and lying. What was that? A game? Yeah, what was that? <laughs> Thornbill speaks up and says, it was part of our experiment. It, We theorized that you were destined, but we had to make sure. We had to put you through the tests. We had to throw everything at you to prove that you were destined to make it out of the six of you. So we're in Half-Life. You're telling me we're in Half-Life. Well, we're already dead. I got the proof. It's right there. In a way of speaking, yes. When does this mission of ours when do we stop when is i'm just like when when are we supposed to go breathe breathe blue you first need to all become attuned to the other side you all need to be able to see these creatures before you go in so we're going to spend the rest of the afternoon attuning you to the resonator and when you can all see what we need you to see we will send you through in the morning. Gentlemen, I understand that this is very difficult to take in. It's a lot, but you are the best of the best. And quite literally, the entire fate of humanity rests on your shoulders. Do we get our phones? Yes, that's exactly We will allow you to make a phone call, but we have to do it through our system. And we have to warn you that if you say anything about the mission, we will cut it off. We... Already haven't. Uh, he kind of gestures to Thornbill and says, give the men what they want, let them have the night, and at 0600, we do it. And the scientists leave the room, and Thornbill kind of lingers to see if there's anything you want from her. Why didn't they just tell us? We were worried that it would affect the outcome. We are worried that it would affect time. We, we had to be sure that you were, that you were it. Um, I will 
uh, raise my hand, I'll be like, um, I actually do have a request on top of making that phone call. Can I please get, I want a large double quarter pounder with cheese, (laughs) extra fries, some nuggies, and I want extra barbecue sauce since I'm going to fucking die for it. Anyone else? This isn't, this isn't just some private military complex, is it? It's not some shell corporation. Is this the government? What is this? If I'm gonna die for it, can I at least know the name? I... I don't know if I can... You already did. You already did. Everything you think you couldn't do. Come on, Doc. You're stalking us since we were kids. (laughs) This is bigger than me, but... From what I understand, this is a joint operation between, I think, government forces. Uh, But I get a paycheck from March Industries. You are perceptive that there is something else, yes. But to be honest with you, I I don't know the same stuff that Tafam knows, for instance. Just know that there have been many minds and many people working on this. Uh, I mean, since 1943, since the experiment, I mean, the the, the ONI, um, th- there's a history, there's a track record here of many organizations trying to solve this problem. Th- this is an amalgamation of years of research, and, and it's all come down to you guys. So what's the status on the nuggies? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she starts writing it down, and if anyone else has any particular requests like that, I'll just ask, you know, either Dr. Thornbill or whoever, if they, you know, I'll make sure. You guys got my will, right? Uh, yes, that is in order. Great. I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> uh, anyone who wants to make phone calls, who who would you like to call? Go for it, Blue. Um, I would like to call Tessa. Okay. You call Tessa. Um, you are using a kind of payphone. Uh, but you call them, and what do you? What, what is the conversation like? And I am so sorry. Is today Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? What's the day? Whatever the day was on November eighteenth, two thousand and twelve. So it's a Sunday. I uh, yeah, I'll call Tessa because I know she's at a family barbecue that we usually do. So I'm going to call that house to get a hold of her. She picks up, and, and you can clearly hear there's there's kind of a lively party going on in the background. Hey, darling, did Pops uh, burn the brisket again? She, you know, she laughs and says no and kind of is happy to, to, to be hearing from you. Was unexpected, was not expecting it. Yeah, no, I got here. Everything is, uh, I can't say much, you know that, but everything's good. I just wanted to check in and and uh, just tell me about your week. I know you and your sister are going to go see uh, Breaking Dawn. Tell me, how is it? You, you just ask her for the most mundane things, and she's kind of not sure why, but she, she placates and she tells you what you want to hear, and it's a mundane but pleasant conversation. Yeah. Probably exactly what you want to hear. It's exactly what I want. I, the main thing is I just want to hear laughing and just her talking about her day, and then um, I will say, no, I love you very much, and I will see you soon. You hang up, and you walk away. Who else wanted to make a phone call? Uh, I'm going to call my wife, Clara. 
Uh, I think that we know each other really well at this point. We were a military wedding uh, that happened way too quick, like all good military weddings. But somehow we've made the distance and uh, we both understand each other in a way that's really hard to do, especially with veterans coming back. Um, and she was very careful and patient with me the first two years after uh, everything coming back. And I, I think we're very frank with each other. And what do you say to her? Uh, Clara, I, I wanted to give you a call and I want to get the normal, uh, I want to get the preparations out of the way. Um, you're going to have to call my dad. Uh, there's a place north of where we live. Uh, he's going to show you where. Uh, it's an old cabin we used to keep. And I, um, I kept some money there just in case, you know, I don't always trust banks and with our credit issues in the past, I just wanted something in there just in case. Uh, part of that can go to Cassie's fund for college um, and the rest of it can be for you, however you want to use it. Uh, my parents are going to be there. And uh, I just want you to know that things are going to be okay on the other side and I I did good things for us, okay? That's all I tried to do. At first, as you begin explaining and basically spelling out a, a kind of speaking will, there's a protest that comes from her, but you quell it. Maybe she quells it herself on her on her end. She understands you, like you said, and she she just says yes, and she says that she loves you. And you can hear the pain in her voice, but you can also hear the temperance. Clara, I love you too. I need you to know this, and I need you to know it well. Don't try and find out. The moment you say that, you hear the line go dead, as if those in charge have cut Shit. the line. No tolerance, dang. Oh, yes. <laughs> Nolan, Pinks. Who would you like to call? Uh, I am going to call my sister, <laughs> my sister Lonnie. And what's your relationship with Lonnie? Um, we, she is my younger sister um, by, I would say, maybe three years. Um, she's also in the military, but I believe um, she's not active duty. She's like a reserve. Um, so she still lives at home or, or back on the island. She's kind of, uh, we have a really great relationship. We're kind of like, she's my confidant. We're kind of rocks to each other. And I don't have the heart to call my folks. So I'm going to call her. Make a luck roll. I got a three. It rings and rings and you think she's not going to pick up, but she does. She sounds like she's with friends. What do you tell her? Um, it's like really loud. So I can't, I'm kind of like talking over, but... Um, I'm kind of just kind of making jokes, just asking about her day, just really quick. And um, uh, I finally just say kind of, you know, whatever you, whatever you do and whatever you choose to do in life, just, you know, always know that I'm proud of you. You know, the family's proud of you. And, you know, I know you're going to do right by, by them and, and stuff. Um, she can tell that there's an awkwardness in what you're saying, and she's, she can tell that there's something wrong, and she starts asking you questions. What do you say to her? 
Um, I kind of just kind of shove it off. I kind of kind of kind of change the subject a little bit. Kind of uh, like play it off, make a make a joke. Kind of just keep kind of laughing. Just I don't want to kind of panic her, make her any more make it any more difficult than it already is. Um, and then by then, I would probably just tell her that I love her and um, just leave it at that. You hang up after telling her you love you, you love her. You have made your phone calls and you get your meals. Um, sure enough, they bring a whole bunch of cheeseburgers and food that you asked for, Blue. Uh, anything that you guys ask for, they are able to provide for you. And really the kind of tone has shifted where there is this kind of empathy uh, being brought towards you. They are really going out of their way to make you feel comfortable in your last hours. I'm good. While we're eating, I I actually want to extend my hand to everybody and just say, Chief Officer Christopher uh, Rivera, and I want to actually introduce myself to these four. My name is Jonah, Jonah Langley. I really don't want a title. Uh, Nolan, a salute. Nature. You introduce yourselves, and there is this kind of moment of solidarity between the four men who are supposed to save the world. All of you make luck rolls for me, please. What more do you want from us? I pass with a seven. Fail with a 56. I fail with a 99. Oh. Oh, shit. (laughs) Well, I don't think I pass. I got a 62. <laughs> so Compass, you are the only person who gets any kind of sleep. The rest of you, you toss and turn, and it's not, what's kind of bothering you is that it's not that you can't take your mind off the fact that you're about to go on your last mission. It's that you can't stop thinking about that feeling, that feeling that you mm-hmm. got when the resonator was on. It felt so good. You would almost say that you're starting to get a little addicted to the feeling. The truth that maybe you all come to realize is you're not going to be around long enough to see what happens if you are addicted to this resonator. You wake up. It's November 19th, D-Day. You are fed breakfast, given the morning. But eventually you are brought into the very large domed building, the building that you have not entered. And inside, there is a preliminary room where you are put into your N-Space survival suits, the silver suits. You put them on, and then you are brought into another room. This is a very high-vaulted room with metal walls, metal floors, a metal ceiling, and there is this kind of very large probe that is coming out of the ceiling. Dr. Thornbill explains they need to degauss you. They need to run electricity through your electrons so that you are unaffected by the T radiation for as long as possible. You stand in the middle of this room with your suits on. Everyone else steps out. And there is this incredibly loud strike of light. And you all can see that from above you is a massive bolt of electricity that is running through all of you and down into the floor. The moment it starts, a few moments later it ends, and all that is left is kind of the smell of ozone in the air, 
people come back into the room and they begin leading you into the next space. But you are fine. It just kind of felt like a little bit of a tingly sensation uh, when it was occurring. But you are brought into an even larger room and here in front of you is a massive version of the tilling gas resonator that you saw in the locker's room. It takes up almost the entire space and there is no one in here besides the four of you. And you see another glass window where Tafum and Thornbill and several other people are. Could I ask one of you to give me a luck roll? It feels lucky. Oh, looks like Caleb's doing it. Okay. <laughs> oh, I oh, thought yeah. you were rolling. You had the gesture that I, you were rolling. Whoever wants it. I was going to volunteer, but if, if, do it, if beef. Amanda has do appointed it, K. It. Okay, go okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. Go I'm going to do it. I volunteer as tribute. Go, go. 23, succeed. The four of you are standing there getting ready, and you all in your own turn kind of look over at the glass window. And you notice that there's someone else amongst them um, that is not a scientist. Very clearly a military type. It's a man. He stands about 1.9 meters tall, about 6'2". Uh, you guess that he weighs about 77 kilos, 170 pounds. He has close cropped gray hair, thin framed glasses, and a precisely trimmed mustache. He wears military fatigues, but is not dressed in any kind of insignia or uh, status. Though he says nothing the entire time, he has this stoic look about him, you can tell that even Tafum has a reverence to him, uh, 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 recognizes his authority. But he says nothing, he simply stares at you guys as you prepare. You hear over the speakers, we're going to begin the countdown. You are going to see an event horizon and you need to move towards it when you see it. Is that understood? You all give the thumbs up or speak into your comms. And just as before, you hear this shrill whine. And sure enough, this massive machine in front of you, you can sense that it is beginning up. And those of you who failed your checks last night, it's almost a relief to feel that familiar tingling sensation in your pineal gland. And just as before, the room turns a kind of fuchsia. Just as before, the creatures appear. This time, ones that are a little different than the eels. There are eels, but there's also other weird kind of spider creatures that are kind of climbing along the wall. But you know not to move to draw their attention. And just when the humming is almost unbearable, it feels like your whole body is shaking. The atoms in your body are about to come apart, it feels. This, this fear, this event horizon just kind of begins to form in front of you. A kind of, not opaque, but reflective bubble. And you can feel being drawn towards it. What do you do? Go Walk towards it. Forward, come. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sifting through to the the horizon. Seek the light. As soon as you start moving towards it, it's almost as if everything in your body wants to move towards it. You're being magnetically attracted to it, and your eyesight goes black. And that's where we're going to end today's session. 
Oh, shit. You son of a bitch. Surge! Frida's wow, so back! Nice. That was so nice. <laughs>